Thanks for tuning in today to Solid Ground Church. We hope that this is uplifting for you and encourages you in your walk with Jesus. If we can be a help at all, please visit us on the web at solidground.church. Now, let's get to today's message. Um, we're in this Genesis series, and uh, just sort of, you know, if you haven't joined us before, I'll let me bring you up to speed. So in, in week one, we, we talked about the creation story in Genesis 1. We talked about uh, three things to, to take away. We learned about the nature of God, who God is. We learned about uh, the nature of humanity, you know, who or what we are. And uh, then in, we, we also learned about God's intention for creation, the way that God created the world, that it was good, teeming with life. There was no brokenness. There was no suffering. There was no sickness. There was no death. And last week what we did was we looked at the fall. We looked at why things are the way they are. Why, why is there suffering in this world? Why you know, are there natural disasters? Why is there sickness? Why is there death? Why are the Patriots in their ninth Super Bowl? Like all these things. And um, I haven't let it go. I really have, I have a Falcons fan. I have not let it go. Um, pray for me. So, um, but okay, but, but why is that all there? Well, it has to do with the sin of our first parents. Adam and Eve, who were entrusted the care of creation, right? As God being the king over creation, and they were his under-shepherds, they ruled for him. When they rejected his reign, it broke all of the commands of God on creation. And so the world was affected. They were affected. Animals were affected. All of it was infected with this thing called sin. And the rest of Genesis going forward uh, is, is all a reaction to that. And so we'll look at God's, the, the beginning of his plan of redemption with Abraham later on. But what we're going to see now in the, in the coming weeks is how this thing just trickles into everything. And all of it becomes infected with this thing called sin. And so things are going to go from bad to worse. Now, if you've got a Bible, you can go ahead and open up to Genesis 4. That's where we're going to be today. Genesis 4. If you're like, where in the world is that? It's simple. Just open your Bible. If you're looking for Genesis, just boom. There it is. Okay, and turn, to, turn it to 4. Um, if you don't have a Bible, it's cool. We're going to put it on the screen in just a second here. But we're going to look at a story that's really the original making a murderer. We're going to look at the story of Cain and Abel today. All right, and, and, and you've heard those names before, right? It's, it's about these two guys. You, got, you like that reference? Okay. Like, it's, the, it's these two brothers. One kills the other. We're going to look at how, like, that enters the equation, what that does to creation. And there's some spiritual truth that we want to understand and glean from the Word of God today as we dig into this story in Genesis 4. So we're going to start Genesis 4, starting verse 1. It says this. So Adam and Eve, after they've been expelled from the Garden of Eden, Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Now, now you go, like, what's the deal with that? Okay, so the name Cain, it comes from the Hebrew word kanati, uh, which means I have gained. And so the idea is, okay, like, life doesn't just originate from me. Like, God has blessed me with life. Because a big biblical thing, and we've been talking about this over the last year, is that whenever you read somebody's name, a name is more than just a sound right? A name has to do with a person's character. It has to do with something, a representation of their being, a calling on them, something like that. And so we're seeing here, okay, like what she's doing is she's recognizing that Cain, like he's been given to her by God. Verse two, later she gave birth to his brother Abel, which is from the Hebrew word Avel, which means temporary, which, isn't, which doesn't bode well for Abel, right? Like, like I mean, understand this word. Okay, it's like if you ever read the, the, uh, the book Ecclesiastes, you know Ecclesiastes starts out, it's like everything is meaningless, meaningless is how it's typically translated. The word there is evel. What it means, it's not meaningless in the sense of like uh, there's no substance to it. It's meaningless in the sense of temporary. So it, like a, a word picture of this word evel would be kind of like, um, have you ever been outside in the cold and you sort of like, you pretend that you're a dragon, like you blow your breath out and you sort of watch it like smoke up in the, am I the only one? Okay, I'm weird. But like, like you watch Watch like, like the, the breaths kind of evaporate up, you know what I'm talking about, like out in the cold. That's, that's Avel, like, and it's gone. 
And that's the name that they put on their kid, which, by the way, parents, let, let's uh, take pause on how we name our kids then, because good night. That's, that's telling. I mean, <laughs> think about this. Like, this idea that a name is more than a sound. Like, like I would never, you know, be at a dinner party, and like, hey, this is my son, chain-smoking crack addict. Like, I would never do that. <laughs> um, but <laughs> I like that joke. All right. Okay. But look, but we're going to see this play out in this story. We are. Now watch. Okay. So our story goes on. Now, Abel kept flocks. So Abel works with the livestock, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some fruits, or some some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. So Cain, he's working hard. Hey, here's what I've done. Okay, the next part. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. Why? Well, here's the principle, okay? So you've got Abel. And when, when his animals, when his livestock have you know, babies, okay, he takes the firstborn. He takes the very first benefit of his harvest, the very first return that he has, and he gives that to the Lord. In other words, he basically said, like, God, before I do anything else, I want to honor you. Before I have anything else, what I have is yours. It's this principle of first fruits. You give to God your best, not the leftovers. Okay, and that's a principle that that we want to absorb as a church, and and we've been saying this in the past as well. Okay, we give God our best, not our leftovers, and that's exactly what Cain does. Cain goes, all right, like I've got some fruit. All right, you know, here you go. It's not the first fruits of the harvest. It's not the very first thing that he receives. It's okay. Here's some stuff that I've got. I'll give this to God as well. And let's just catch this, okay? Just sort of do that. Like, well, you know, I've got enough. I'll sort of give out of abundance. And if I've got this or not, that's not an offering. That's a tip. And let's just check, because for many of us, what we do is this. When it comes to the way that we relate to God, it's if I've got enough of blank left over, I'll give him some, right? So, okay, like when it comes to worship, okay, you know, like, like we, why do we gather on the first day of the week at the beginning of that day? Because before our week starts, what we say is, all right, God, I'm putting you before everything else that I do this week. I'm going to reflect on you. I'm going to direct my eyes towards you. I'm going to direct my heart towards you. And so you come first. Now, that's, that's sort of juxtaposed against the American value, which goes, all right, if I have time, I will. Right? It's been a long week, therefore I'm going to sleep in on Sunday because I'm just so tired because it's all about me. Well, no, it's not about you. Well, no, God will understand. Well, he, it's not about you under, him understanding. It's about you honoring. All right? And same way, okay, well, I'll serve if I've got time. I'll give if I, if I have enough. I'll help if I... No, like, that's a leftover mentality. And what we want to do is give God our best, not our leftovers. So, story continues. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Okay, so God accepts Abel's sacrifice. He, he, he doesn't look with favor on Cain's, and so Cain's like, ah, because he sees the way his brother has something, and it's not for him. Now, there's a word for that, jealousy, And let's just check this, that that the way that all of this is going to transpire, the reason that murder enters the equation, the reason that sin gets exponentially worse is because somebody looks at someone else and sees what they have and goes, I want that and I'm mad that I don't. Which is why, let's have a little group building exercise. I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, check your jealousy. Go ahead, right now, just go ahead, check your jealousy. You can look at me like, I know I look good, but you you just need to check your jealousy. (laughs) <laughs> all right look okay but, but can, I, can I ask something though okay just truthfully hey some of you are saying way too much okay that's a lot more than check your jealousy all right look <laughs> all right hey hey can I ask something though 
Like just truthfully, because we, we, we are comparative people, right? We, we judge how we're doing based on how someone else is doing, right? Whose life was ever made better by that? Have you noticed that? Like, okay, like we'll, we'll get on social media, right? We'll get on Facebook and we're like, man, I, I just want to see how so-and-so is doing. And they went on a vacation that I can't afford. God bless them, right? Like, like what is that? Like, there's something like, whose life was ever made better by comparing? Yet we do it all the time. Uh, a pastor named Craig Rochelle, he says it this way. He says, comparison always leads to feeling superior or inferior, neither of which honors God. It's true, right? And we do it all the time. Like, like we, we compare ourselves with other people. Man, like, man, like I'm at my job and they don't pay enough, but here's Susie Q and, they, and she hasn't worked as hard as I have and she's doing so much better and I just hate her. Like what, what is that? That's jealousy. You're at your job. And there's somebody you don't like and, and the reason you don't like them, come on. Here's the reason you don't like them because they get away with slacking. And so you, you, you present yourself as a moral crusader. I can't believe they're defrauding the company. That's not why you're mad. You're mad because they're getting away with it and you're not. Hello. Like, you, you, you compare, and what's jealousy? Like, what can it lead to but anger, resentment, disappointment? That's the only place it can go. When you're looking at what someone else has, and you're comparing what you have, and you're like, I wish I had that, the only place it can lead to is a division of relationship and a resentment. It can't go anywhere else, because we, we don't really celebrate when we're envious. And it starts here. Why does murder <laughs> enter the equation here? Because one guy looks at his brother's thing and goes, I wish I had it. Let's check that. Let's check that. So, our story continues. Genesis 4, verse 6. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And remember, we talked about this idea, and, it, and we're going to see it again today. Whenever God asks a question, it's not for him to gather new information. It's not for him to be like, man, I'm trying to figure out what's up with you, Cain. That's not it. He's pulling the response out of Cain. And we're going to understand here, the reason that he's saying this is he's trying to thwart Cain from doing something horrible. So this, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? Hey, hey, Cain, 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 instead of having this victim mentality of if only my life was like this, then I would be happy. It's a lie. Do what's right. Instead of, okay, well, if, if only I had this, if only I made more, if only my house was bigger, if only my wife loved me more, if only my kids were nicer, if only I had, like, no, no, no. Do what is right. Instead of it's, oh, if only, no, no, no. You do what's right, and then you, won't you be accepted if you do that? And this next part is so countercultural for us, we're going to spend some time on it. So he says, but if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now the language goes a little spooky. And he says, all right, listen, do what's right, you'll be accepted. But if you don't, Cain, you just need to know there's something waiting in the wings. If you don't, there's something that's right there, ready to pounce and it will rule. It's all that it wants to do is rule over you, but you can't let it. Cain, don't go that way. And, and let's understand what he's saying here, okay? And this is where I, I want to spend a good amount of time because this is not how we think as American Christians. And we need to. We, like, what we want to do is not conform Christianity to us. We want to be people of the word. We want to conform ourselves to God and his standards, right? Okay, so let's understand some things, all right? So this story 
comes from the ancient Near East. And this is where Genesis was written, particularly ancient Mesopotamia. Now, in ancient Mesopotamia, there was a spiritual belief outside predating the Bible about like sort of spiritual activity. Like we're spiritual people, right? Like we believe there's a, a spiritual world behind the scenes, right? Like we believe in an invisible God. We believe in angels. We believe in demons. There's this sort of veil, right? We believe these things. Now we minimize that. We don't think about it very much, but we believe this. They believe that too, but here's what they believe, okay? Sort of pre-Judeo-Christian uh, people, they had this belief about demons. That, that what demons would do is they would sort of hide in doorways. And when somebody would walk, like an uncertain person would walk through a door, a demon would just pounce like a, like a, like a, like a leopard, just like, and like tear into them. And God is referencing this here, but he's changing the doorway. So like they would like, like a physical doorway, like you'd walk into a house and a demon would attack you. But, but God is referencing something. It's not, no, 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 Cain, the doorway is your heart. The doorway is your heart and sin, that the work of your enemy is right there ready to destroy you. And what he wants to do is pounce. What he wants to do is rule over you. You cannot let him. That there is evil at play here. And I know this, this is really, really uncomfortable for us because typically when it comes to how we think of sin, we think of sin purely as choices. Right? So what we do when it comes to sin, like, we'll go something like this. We'll go like, all right, uh, sin like, we'll define it as like that bad thing that I've done. But it stops with me. It starts and stops with me. I shouldn't have done X, Y, and Z. But do, do you understand that there's more at play here? That there actually is a devil who's working to tempt and destroy you. And it's not that he can make you do anything. And that's clearly what the text says. It's not that he can make you do anything, but he can prey on your temptations and make you go further than you ever thought possible. By the way, when I say devil, I'm going to use this, this, it's not that Satan is omnipresent or everywhere. I I use this phrase kind of interchangeably with demons and all that sort of kingdom of darkness thing. But understand something, okay? Okay. We have to recognize that there actually is a spiritual war taking place for your soul and mine. And I, I know this is not popular, but when was the last time we associated sin with the activity of the demonic? We typically don't. Yet over and over again, like that's the clear picture of Scripture. Like when Jesus is tempted, who's tempting him? Is it his own ambitions? No, it's Satan. I mean, is there a your desire thing? Absolutely. But who's working against him? I mean, you go into the Gospels, right? You find when, like, besides Jesus casting out demons, which you find not just in the life of Jesus, but also the lives of his apostles, like in the Gospels and Acts, you find like, like when, when, when Judas Iscariot betrays Jesus, remember that story? Right? Like you find, I think it's Luke, where, where when Jesus tells Judas, go do what you have to do quickly, it says, then Satan entered into him. And he went. I mean, Satan preyed upon what was already in Judas. I mean, like, well, you know, why is it? Why is it that, you know, like in the story of like Jesus with his parable of, of the, the, the farmer sowing seed, right? And he says like the very, like the very first thing that happens, he sows, a farmer sows seed on the path and the seed represents the word of God. And he said like some birds came and took it. And he says the birds taking it are Satan taking away the word of God. We think it's just about an argument. Maybe not. I'll give you an example. I was doing a funeral this, this past year, man. And um, this guy loved Jesus. And of all the kinds of funerals that I have to do, I love the ones where the person loves Jesus because you know they're in a better place. That they're for, for the first time in their life, they're alive. Right? I mean, like, he just, he exuded a love for Christ. And, and, and you know, his, his son and daughter-in-law, they sat down with me beforehand. And they said, like, okay, the one thing that we want in this funeral is for you to present the gospel because that's who my dad was. 
And we want everybody to hear that. So game on, right, yeah, let's do it. I'm going to say no. Yeah. Um, and so I, you know, in this funeral, I just really, really simply like, non, like not mean at all, just here's the gospel. Okay, like you and I are sinners. We need a savior. Jesus died for your sin. He rose from the dead for you. And as I'm saying this, in the middle of a funeral for a love, when people start getting up and walking out, like what is that? Oh, that's, that? That's the bird taking the seed. Why is it you have loved ones who aren't just against the gospel, they're like violently opposed to it? It's not about you arguing them into anything. It's about you praying for them because there is a spiritual force darkening their understandings. It's big. And by the way, I didn't used to think this way, but the more that I read the word, the more I find this to just sort of be assumed by the authors of Scripture. Let me give you some examples, right? Like John 3, here's First John 3, 8. Here's what John says. Like Jesus' best friend. He says, the one who does what is sinful is of the devil. Well, that seems kind of simplistic. Yeah. Why? Well, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. And the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Now, isn't that interesting? Because most of us would say the reason the Son of God appeared was to save us from our sins. Yes. What is that? That's destroying the work of the devil. Because sin and the work of Satan are intricately linked. And we don't think this way. But here it is, plain as day. I'll give you another example. Ephesians 2, verses 1 and 2. The Apostle Paul writes this. He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin. Okay? So it wasn't about you saving yourself. You didn't have the ability to find life. That's the, that's the miracle, the grace of God. You were dead in your sin. He says, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler. Wait, so was everybody who didn't know Jesus a, a satanic worshiper? No. But when you're following yourself, when you're following sin, you're following the ways of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. And then look at what he says next. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Have we understood it this way? Okay, like when somebody rebels against God, it's not the devil made me do it. No, the devil prayed on the temptation of their heart, but, but there is an enemy who is absolutely trying to destroy you, and he's at work to do these things. I mean, have we ever thought this way? The spirit who's at work in those who are disobedient, that's a, that's a heavy statement. And it's a general one. Like Paul would go, yeah, there. Well, what about my aunt who, like, who, who's rebelling against God in all these ways? She's just really stubborn. Paul goes, she's stubborn, but also she's stubborn because there's an enemy who's trying to destroy her. Whoa. And he's not the only time he says it. Look again, Ephesians 6, uh, 6.12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world. Or sorry, but against uh, the rulers, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. This is the war that we are in. And I know this is uncomfortable because we don't like that. This is spooky to us. Okay? But I, 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 like as a courtesy to you, like, like as a shepherd to you, I, I just feel the need to absolutely point something out right now. So I need you to write this down if you're taking notes. Okay, listen. Ignoring something doesn't make it less real. Can I say that again? Like ignoring something doesn't make it If you're like, well, I just want to pay attention to all that stuff and I'll just focus on like the feel-good part of Christianity. That's great, man. You can experience so much joy in Christ, but understand there is still a war taking place whether or not you acknowledge it. And I, I, I kind of got to wonder, like what would happen? What would happen if the people of God embraced this and treated it like the reality that it is and prayed like the reality that this is? Hey, what if? What if you and me, who are called by Jesus to be the light of the world, like we're the light in the dark place, what would happen if we prayed like our, like our lives depended on it 
because they do. That it wasn't just, a, I'll pray because it's the nice thing to do, but like, God, I'm recognizing there are forces at work here that I don't have the power to beat, but you do. God, I recognize like there is a, like a battle taking place that I can't see, but Lord, you have the victory, and unless you intervene, we won't win. Like, what would happen if we embraced that truth and prayed in such a way that it wasn't just like winning an argument, so to speak? No, no, it's bigger than arguments. It's bigger than just sort of changing somebody's mind. Because there is a darkening that takes place. Have you noticed this? It's more like, like, like when it comes to so many like, demonic things present in the world, like the logic is so flawed, but it persists and it grows. Why? Because there's a spiritual war taking place. I'll give you an example. This is going to be really uncomfortable for a moment. New York State. Right now, like the state of New York just made it so that you can terminate a baby up until birth. Like, like, how does that happen? Like how, like, how are we having this conversation of whether or not that's a human being? Because everything is there. Like, you mean to tell me that a person's only a person if they pass through a birth canal or have a cesarean section? Like, like that's what makes a person a person? I mean, good night. Like, everything is there that tells you that's a person. Like, the child feels pain. The child recognizes the voice of the mother. Like, are we really going to have that conversation? So how is it that it persists so far? It persists so far because it's demonic. Because, because, hey, fun fact for you, your enemy has always been out for blood, and he doesn't play fair. I mean, from the beginning, like, like this type of thing is not new. You trace it back to ancient Mesopotamia, like the, the, the pagan cultures there. People are sacrificing their children to demonic gods. Why? Because they, they want favor and they want convenience. They would kill their, their, their kids so they, would get, they, they hoped they would get a bigger crop or they would have more of a harvest. And they like, this is, if I do this, the God will be happy with me. Well, what's, what, what are we seeing here in New York? If this child is inconvenient to me, I will remove it. It's better for me, better for me, better for me. It's demonic. He's always been after me. Like, why do you find, like, why do you find Satan always going after the next generation? Like, he kills the, the, the infants in, in the book of Exodus before Moses. He kills the infants in the book of Matthew before Jesus. Why is that there? Because your enemy doesn't play fair, and he is out to destroy. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Okay, and, and look, it, it, please hear my heart for you. Okay? If, if you. If you have had an abortion, what I am not saying is that you cannot be forgiven. I am not saying that you're not welcome here. You absolutely are. Know that there is no sin that can separate you from the love of God and forgiveness that is in Christ Jesus. You are not a second-class citizen to us. Absolutely not. And do not hold that over yourself. You cannot hold over you that for which Christ has died. But what I can't do is lie to you and tell you it's okay. Because it's not. It's not. And you just need to know this is out there. There is a war taking place. And you want to see how personal it is? Here's what, here's what Peter, like the Peter who walked on water, here's, here's what he wrote for Peter 5a. He says, be alert and a sober mind. Meaning, hey guys, focus. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And again, I'm not trying to scare you. But you have to be aware that you have an enemy and pray accordingly. Now look, you know, we, we, we're, we're an alert enough people. If we have a house, we'll, we'll put in carbon monoxide detectors, right? Because we're like, hey, there's an invisible threat that could kill me, so let me put that there to warn me. Okay, well, here, here's your detector. 
I'm warning you. You can't see it, but it's there. Know that. All right. Now, all that said, that's the background okay, in the story that, they, that God is saying to Cain, listen, you have an enemy who wants to destroy you, who wants to rule over you. Don't give in. Because it's not, well, the devil made me do it. No, the devil played on you. So let's watch what happens. Genesis 4, 8. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, well, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Why did he do it? Jealousy. Jealousy. And now, for the rest of Genesis, we're going to watch as things go from bad to worse. We're going to see how, how this murder and bloodshed it just amps up in creation. Like when we go to the Noah story next week and then the Tower of Babel later, like we're going to watch as it gets worse and worse and worse. Now let's watch how God responds because God responds in a way that you wouldn't think God would. By the way, if, if you're a person who's sort of like, you, you believe there's like this disconnect between the Old and New Testament and you think like, like God's sort of bloodthirsty in the Old Testament but he chilled out in the New because he had a kid. Um, <laughs> <laughs> same God throughout and I watch him show to you. Okay. Then the Lord said to Cain, where's your brother Abel? He already knows, right? Hey, where, where's your brother? And Cain responds, I don't know. He replied, am I my brother's keeper? He actually like cops an attitude with God. Like, like how casual is their relationship? Like, I don't know, man. I'm not in charge of him. But you can kind of sense like the, the answers. Have any of you ever like you've done something and you know you screwed up and so you're just on the edge because you don't want to get caught? Anybody else ever been there? Right? There he is. Am I my brother's keeper? Right? But look at what the Lord said. The Lord said, what have you done? He already knew. He already knew. Hey, for the one who's trying to cover up what you've done, oh man, if, if people knew this about me, God already knows. And he wants you. Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. Let's understand something. Grace does not mean that actions don't have consequences. Sometimes if you shred things in this life, you won't experience the relief from them until the next, but know that you will experience the relief. Okay. So he continues. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. It will be a, here you will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Verse 13, Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. And now we're witnessing within Cain's uh, verbiage here a breaking of heart. It's not just, a, oh, you got me. No, we're actually seeing him convicted about what he's done. So I, I, I can't bear this. I, like, I shouldn't have done this. He goes, today you're driving me from the land and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. Now let's pause here because I know if you're a skeptic, you approach the story and here's what you do, okay? You go, well, who's gonna find him? Because last I checked, his parents were the first people ever. He killed his brother, like who else is left? So who is he talking about here? To which Moses, who wrote the story, would say, yes. Like, there's some, there's some, like, he doesn't care. So if you're like, well, but Moses, like, he's worried about other people finding him. But thus far, you've said that, like, that it, he's the first kid. Like, who, who are you talking about? Moses would say, shh, the grown-ups are talking. Just pay attention to what I'm trying to tell you. Like, 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 like that's not the point of the story. 
Well, how did they get there? Oh, that's, that's, I, I don't know. That's not what I'm getting at here. And for us, okay, let's not get so caught up in the logistics of this, that we miss the next part here. Okay, so Cain's worried that somebody's going to kill him. And look at what God says to him. So Cain's like, you know, people are going to kill me. I'm going to be destroyed. But the Lord said to him, not so. Meaning, no. Well, God, I've done this, and I deserve this, and I should be you know, stricken with this, and oh, God, aren't I the worst, and shouldn't my life fall apart, and shouldn't you reject me, and shouldn't you like, just absolutely decimate me and obliterate me? And God goes, no. No. In fact, he goes, you, you, you want to know how for you I am? Anyone who, who, who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over me. What I'm going to do is I'm going to make it so that I've got your back. <laughs> then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So God, God takes this guy who commits the first murder and when repentance enters the equation, he protects him. I mean, good night, the grace in that. And scholars, like, they, they differ about what that means, like the mark of Cain. Some people are like, well, I think what it means is that, you know, his name Cain can also be heard to mean, like, vengeance or revenge. And so people would hear Cain, and they'd be like, ooh, better stay away from that guy. Could be. Other people are like, well, you know, the, the, the mark could be, it could be like a physical mark on him that scared people off somehow. Could be. Other people are like, what it could be was like some sort of supernatural, like a cloud hovering over him. Kind of like the end of uh, Frozen with the cloud over Olaf. Like, if you know what Like, could be. What it is isn't the point. Whatever it is, it's God's protection and provision that the wrath that should fall on Cain is averted. Because there's something you need to know about your God and mine. He's merciful. And anybody who comes to him, hey, hey, anybody, anybody who comes to him asking for forgiveness and life will find it. This is the epicenter of our faith. This is the pre-gospel gospel. That Jesus entered the world and while our sin, while our actions made so that we should be judged by God, that we should be stricken down, that we should die, Jesus took that death in our place. He died for you and me so that we could receive the mercy of God. So that our sin, our rebellion, our partnering with the work of the devil could be washed away. Never to return. So that we could be forgiven saved and transformed. And so you can know that's true, that Jesus wasn't just some other guy who, who taught stuff like this but didn't have the authority to back it up. God the Father raised him from the dead. It's an eternal testimony that you can be made right with God. And so today, if you're sitting here and you would say that you don't know Jesus but you'd like to, if, you're, if you would say, you know, like, I've got this stuff in my past, and I'm just, I, I, please, I, I just need it to be taken away. It can be. Let's pray together. Let's seek the Lord together in this place. If you don't know Jesus, you'd say, I, I rebelled, I walked away, I've done some things I shouldn't have done, I've been holding back from God. All right, let's make this the moment where we turn to him together. So every head bowed, every eye closed. If you want to be made right with God through Jesus, here's what we're going to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me. God, I agree with the conviction of your spirit that I've sinned. I've messed up. I've rebelled against you. And I am so sorry. 
But Lord, I believe that you sent Jesus to save me and forgive me. I believe that Jesus died for my sin and rose from the dead so that I can begin a new life with you. So God, I'm asking you, please come into my life. Fill me with your spirit. Show me how to follow you. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. If you decided to follow Jesus today, let us help you take your first steps in faith. Visit us on the web at solidground.church slash first steps. There you'll find free resources and videos to help you take your first steps in your relationship with Jesus. Thanks so much for tuning in and we look forward to seeing you next week.